You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy, broadcasting live, but more or less recorded from the Vivid Seat Studios. Use promo code Overtime in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases, first-time customers only. A little out of breath right now. Super tired, so I slammed some coffee, turned on some music, had about a 30-second dance party. I can't breathe, but I'm feeling a little better. Don't judge me. People have dance parties at 3.50 in the morning. Maybe the problem's with you and your judgment. You ever think about that? Maybe reflect on that for a little bit. I don't know. If you need a little more clarity, go into the Facebook group. Ask them how much of my truth you know. They'll let you know, okay? Zero. Zero is the answer. You don't know my truth. On the docket today is going to be a whole bunch of random information. Um, I thought of a fun little project to do, and that project was to, um, essentially what I started off doing is saying, you know what, let's take a look at every first-round draft pick and see how they grade it out. And then I thought, man, let's go into the second round. That went by so quickly, I said, let's just do all seven rounds, man. There's only four more, five more. I, you, okay, again, again, you're doing it again. You think my math is a problem? Look at your soul, all right? But anyways, um, I got everybody except the last four teams that went on Monday night. Those grades are not out yet. But I got a little bit of fun information there, um, and I'm going to be posting that once that's done in the Patreon. Um, It'll be for everybody that is in the, uh, well, I'd say the name of the football player tier, but nobody's even going to know what that means, the $5 tier or higher. And again, for those that don't know, if you're in the $10 tier, you can get into the uh, private Facebook group, which has all the breakdown videos. There is going to be a new one. I wanted to get it up yesterday. It was almost done, but the computer was needed to be utilized for other things. But uh, we're looking at the secondary, and I'll give a couple observations that I had on that so far. Oh, oh, welcome back, Cricket. I have not heard you in a long time. Kind of thought he died a horrible death, but apparently he did not. So that's cool. But that'll be one of the things we're talking about is a little bit of what I saw. I also want to talk a little bit about snap counts. I kind of touched on it because there was a question about uh, Darnell Savage and whatnot. I want to look at some of the snap counts, go through rookie grades, and um, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Before we get there, though, I just want you to remember that fantasy football season is officially here, and there's more ways to win than ever. Because FanDuel's got more cash prizes and once-in-a-lifetime experiences during every single game every single week. And again, if you, if you have not played this yet, or, you know, at least have not signed up with FanDuel yet, be sure to do it, because they're going to give you a $20 credit when you deposit $20. Hopefully you're smarter than me and don't uh, have Cam Newton going, or Joe Mixon going, or, you know, Cooper Cup, or Matt Breida, who is supposedly going to be the, the lock number one, blah, 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 doesn't come in until the other guy gets hurt. Or plays the Eagles defense, because obviously they're going to be so good and Washington is so trash, right? Nope. No, you're going to play the smart part of my bench, like playing Chris Carson, like playing Michael Thomas, like playing Austin Eckler, and, you know, hopefully winning, unlike me, who played those guys and lost, because I benched Emmanuel Sanders, who I told you is still awesome. I told y'all Emmanuel Sanders is still the man. 
Hollywood Brown sitting on the bench. That was cool. Anyways, bottom line is you know what you're doing. Sign up for FanDuel now and get $20 in total bonuses. Just make your first deposit of $20 to get started, and you get an extra $5 inside credit every week for four weeks. Go to FanDuel.com slash DFS Fantasy or download the FanDuel app. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So the first observation that I had um, when watching the cornerbacks is that it's unbelievably and hard to evaluate uh, defensive backs. Right, I mean, unless you're a coach or an NFL player or something, it's really hard to say because they, they have an assignment. Now, man coverage is, is relatively easy, right? You're in man coverage, you follow the guy as closely as you can, and then if the ball goes that way, you break it up. And even if the ball doesn't go that way, you kind of look at it and go, you know, maybe if you were closer to the guy, that'd be cool. But especially in zone, I mean, sometimes you look at it in zone and it's like, well, you know, I mean, he did the best he could, but did he? You know, was he supposed to carry that guy up the field? Uh, should he have maybe not been quite so far back because it's third and ten? Maybe don't stand 11 yards off. Maybe stand 10 yards off. I, You know, I don't know exactly what Mike Pettin's telling these guys to do. However, thus far, I can say pretty definitively that although the defensive line and the defensive front was much better and they definitely bailed out the secondary to some degree, these guys are pretty good. I think I counted basically one mistake apiece with the exception of Tony Brown, who... I don't even know if I would say he necessarily made a mistake. I mean, one of those big plays, he was on him like glue. He just didn't exactly break it up. That was a back shoulder or whatever. Tremont was unbelievable. I mean, Tremont so far has had, I think, maybe my favorite play. Hi. My favorite play of this whole evaluation period that's of every position. That play where he knocked, uh, I don't know who it was exactly, but he he knocked somebody out of bounds to, to save a big play down the sideline. Unbelievable play. That was, he was in man, I, I think he was in man coverage, I don't know, because the play happened so fast, but that was Jair's guy. Jair was manned up on that guy. He bit hard on a fake. Tremont doubled back when he saw what was going on and wouldn't knock that guy out of bounds. Again, that's going to be on the video, but great, great play. Tremont was, was fantastic. There was really only one, I mean, he had a couple penalties, but I think they were really ticky-tack garbage penalties, and the one play where he ended up uh, throwing whoever it was probably Allen Robinson when he threw him out of bounds. That was maybe his only bad play, and really it, it wasn't even that bad. It was one of those things where he probably did as best as he probably could. It was just a good play call. There was nothing that was just super glaring, like, oh, that was just trash. right? The only play that seemed like it was pretty bad was maybe, and again, I'm not quite done yet, but there weren't that many big plays in the game, maybe that 15-yard pickup by David Montgomery. And again, that's it's zone defense, so I'm not entirely sure what was supposed to happen. But he hit a wide open zone between, um, 
don't know if it was set. One of the safeties and Blake Martinez. The only thing I could think is, number one, it was just a good play call because it was just a, an open spot in the zone, and that is what it is. Otherwise, maybe Blake was supposed to carry him up or the safety was supposed to come down. I don't know. Again, don't know what the assignments were. But that was the only one that was pretty glaring where you're looking at it and going, wow, that, that looks like somebody messed up. But the speed and the aggression, you know, some guys are more capable than others. Obviously, Jair, you know, it, it's fun watching the contrast. The one mistake that, that Kevin King had that was pretty glaring, it was just a real quick curl route. And Kevin King, you know, not the most agile guy in the world. That's not exactly what he's known for. When, when you know, we'll say Allen Robinson probably, because he's the one that tormented everybody, it seems like. When he sticks his foot in the ground and comes back, Kevin King can't exactly change direction that fast and falls the wrong way like three or four steps before he rebounds and comes back to the ball. You watch Jair try to do that same thing. Now, the ball was caught on Jair, but he he never gave any separation. He just curled with him, stayed with him every inch. You, you, as you're watching it, you can just see, you know, for example, Tremont, I think, is is kind of a, a maybe a better corner. I'm trying to say this delicately. The athleticism with, with Kevin King is much better than Tremont, but I think Tremont is a little bit better as far as his discipline and, and just doing the right things, but you know maybe he just can't quite athletically hang with a guy like Kevin King. Jair is, is a mix of both. He's as disciplined and intelligent, maybe not as, but he, he's, he's disciplined and intelligent like Tremont, but he's athletic like Kevin King. The other thing that's definitively standing out, and it was confusing me at first, it became pretty evident that Jair is trying desperately to bait Trubisky. He's trying to bait these. He is standing so far off, and, and there's sometimes I'm watching this, and it didn't even occur to me until later in the video, which you'll see if you're in there, but he's trying to get the quarterbacks to throw, and on one particular play when I'm thinking he's way too far off, now the, the pass was completed, but he just about gets there, and we're talking like eight, nine yards, ten yards of separation. Like, why are you so far away? That's ridiculous. He's trying to get the quarterback to throw so he can break on it. And his, his speed is really, really incredible. Again, he was late to the ball on this particular play that I'm thinking about when, it finally, when he finally did get the quarterback, Trubisky, to bite. He was just a half a second too late. And so I'll put that on, on Jair for being a little bit too far off. But he, he was doing that the whole game. He's standing way off. He's trying to look like he's not looking that direction. He wants so badly to bait the quarterback to throw so that he can get a pick. He wants that real bad. And the other interesting thing is Trubisky didn't bite almost the entire game. I mean, his, you know, obviously when he's playing man coverage, he's got his guy pretty locked up. But there are times when he's playing in zone, he is playing super soft. And Trubisky's like, nah, I ain't falling for that. I don't think so. But overall, everything looked good. You know, there were a couple, you know, those deep shots down the sideline. Um, there were two of them to Allen Robinson. Once when Amos was in coverage, once was with Savage over the top. Neither of them was able to get to the sideline in time, which is something that I was hoping we could see a little bit more of. But, you know, Savage was also just incredible. There was an entire series that basically was just the Savage series, which was as cool as it sounds. He basically just took him off the field with, with his back-to-back-to-back plays. You know, the, the first play, he didn't make a direct play, but he just followed uh, Tariq Cohen up the sideline like it was nothing. And then he broke up the next two plays, and it was just time to punt. So it was a lot of fun to watch. And, um, again, if, if you're in the $10 tier, I sent you an email get into the Facebook group because that's where I'm going to be uploading these from now on because Patreon's giving me a hard time about it. Um, as far as results from last night's game, I suppose I could touch on that. I didn't see any of Oakland-Denver because, I mean, I'm surprised I stay up as late as I did to watch New Orleans and Houston. Pretty disappointed to find out New Orleans won for obvious reasons because, you know, I don't want New Orleans to win. They look to be a pretty talented team still. 
the, the good thing about as I'm watching these games now, though, is I'm looking through a different lens. For so long, I've been looking at a a Packers team that we just know the defense isn't very good, and we hope they can get a little bit better. You know, maybe the run defense is okay, whatever. And we still have to see. We don't know definitively how good this team is. Maybe the Bears' offense was just garbage. Maybe the offensive line just completely fell apart. They weren't ready to play. Whatever. I don't know. But the context that I'm looking at this in is, you know, if, if the Packers were to go toe-to-toe, could they hang with this team? And I'm looking at New Orleans, and it's like, man, that offense is really good. And it is, and they would be tough to handle. But you look at Houston and what they were able to do with that offensive line, and it's like, man, we, we could have done a lot better job with that. And if, if New Orleans is having that much of a hard time getting to, to Watson, and they did get to him, but, I mean, this is the worst offensive line in, in all of human history. And they're even saying on the broadcast, like, man, they got to start getting some more pressure from the other side because this is just, this isn't enough. They, they, they're not going to be able to do much to the Packers. And it's just, it's just nice to have that balance because it's not just a matter of, man, can we outshoot Drew Brees? I don't know because, you know, Kamara and, and Thomas, that's, that's a tough matchup. Now, the offense still needs to get better because, as it is, the offense isn't going to be able to hang with Drew Brees at all. But if they can get back into to fighting shape and get back to any semblance of what they were, even any time prior to 2018, even 2017 before uh, Rodgers went down, he was looking fine. If we can just get 2017 Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay Packers back and maintain this level of defense, there really isn't anyone I'm super scared of. You know, the, the Patriots are obviously going to be a pain, but it, it, that would be a matchup that I would look forward to, honestly. I mean, th- this is the one year when Packers-Patriots would probably be a pretty good game. Because in the past, it's, you know, it, I mean, it's always a good game. But to actually have a defense that, that's going to be able to stifle that, that Patriots offense, to have a defense that's going to be able to get to Brady, on top of an offense that's going to be able to overcome their defense to some degree, I mean, that, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited. I, I really hope the offense gets better and the, the defense can stay the same. But it's really nice because, you know, even if you look last year, or even in years past, you look at the New Orleans and how good the offense is and how talented they look with Kamara and all that, and it's like, man, you just almost kind of concede that, you know, even though anything's possible, I don't think we can hang with that. At this point, though, it's just like, man, if we can get back this offense back, we're better than New Orleans. We're better than Kansas City. Even if our, you know, even if the Packers are, are number five overall offense and Kansas City's number one, Kansas City's still in a lot of trouble. Because the number five offense against Kansas City's defense is a nightmare for Kansas City because Kansas City's defense is not good. And again, we don't know what the Packers' defense is yet, but that's a severe disadvantage for Kansas City if the Packers are still the same team that they were against Chicago with that amount of pass rush. You know, if he's going to throw those ridiculous no-look passes where he's overthrowing a wide-open guy in the end zone because I'm trying to look cool, like, ooh, watch this, guys, I'm not even... And there's no reason not to look dummy. The guy's wide open. Just look over there and throw it. Like, I mean, it's, it's one thing to look somewhere. Whoa, that thunder is going to wake up my kids, and they're going to be screaming any second now. You can look off a safety and then turn your head and throw. He's just showboating now. Reminds me of that uh, that line from White Man Can't Jump, where he's like, you'd rather look cool and lose. I don't remember the full quote, but that was essentially it. That's what he's doing now. It's all about style. It's all about looking cool. Stop it, dummy. You're just you're showing off now, and you look ridiculous, Mahomes. What a punk. I'm sorry. He's a nice guy, and he's a good quarterback. I don't care. It annoys me. I mean, I guess it's a good thing that it wasn't 55 to 26, but still, he's a show off. And Oakland Denver was a little surprising. Um, I would kind of wish I had seen the game now because I don't know how Oakland pulled that off. Um, I don't know. Do they have a good offense? What what happened? 
I know I saw a little blurb about the running back doing really well, which isn't super surprising, except for the fact that it's the Denver Broncos defense. I mean, the, the defensive front and the, the edge rushers and Vic Fangio, I feel like they should have been able to corral a running back with a not good offensive line. I don't I mean, I don't know. Granted, it took Fangio, what, like three, four years to get the Bears to where they were, but still, I, I don't know, whatever. They're AFC teams. It's just disappointing because Denver's supposed to beat the Bears next week, and if you can't beat Oakland, you're not going to beat the Bears next week. That ain't going to happen. You only scored 16 points on Oakland. I mean, come on, man. i got to peep the stats real quick. Royce Freeman had 5.6 yards per carry. What are you doing? Noah Fant, one carry, negative five yards. That's cool. Way to be creative. Cortland Sutton had 120 yards. Emmanuel Sanders had 86 and a touchdown. It sounds like you guys kind of tore it up. What, you just can't finish or what? Zero sacks, you bunch of losers. Well, Cleveland got a sack, so that's great. Whatever. So, I don't think we learned a whole lot. Houston has a good offense. New Orleans is still a very good team. Um, Oakland and Denver are probably both garbage. Or maybe they're both good. I don't really know. We don't know yet. But um, even, even throughout week one, I mean, there's... It still had a week one feel to it, but, you know, Packers beat Bears is not all that surprising. The Rams beat Carolina. That was kind of expected. Tennessee over Cleveland, it's surprising how much they beat them by. But I even said I I was tempted to take Cleveland because I just, or excuse me, tempted to take Tennessee, but it just felt kind of wrong doing. I think, I don't even remember who I picked, but I know I was on the fence and I referenced their offensive line, Cleveland's offensive line being a problem, and it absolutely was a problem. Uh, Kansas City beat Jacksonville, that was expected. Baltimore beat Miami, again, the score was surprising, but that was expected. Minnesota beat Atlanta, which is basically looks exactly like what last year would have looked like because Atlanta is just straight trash. Buffalo beat the Jets by one point because they're both just kind of crummy. Philly beat Washington, that was expected. The Chargers beat Indy without Andrew Luck, that of course was expected. Seattle beat Cincinnati, again, the score was closer than expected, but that's what you would expect. Detroit tied Arizona because LOL. Dallas beat the Giants. That's exactly expected. Um, San Francisco beat Tampa is more or less expected. And uh, New England beat Pittsburgh, which I picked Pittsburgh because I don't like the Patriots. But let's face it, we all know that New England is a better team. So it was week one, and there's some kind of goofy stuff going on. But pretty much across the board, there's nothing really shocking with wins and losses here. Tennessee is, is the only one that kind of surprised some people until you realize we're talking about the Cleveland Browns. I know Dorsey went out and paid everybody, but uh, so what? He abandoned his offensive line to do it, and it's still the Browns, and the whole Dream Team thing, as I said on the podcast, doesn't always work out as as well as you might think. Props, by the way, to Billy Morris in the CBS Pick'em Pool. Got everything right except Detroit, which, to be fair, nobody got that one right, but he more or less got it right because they were the better team up until the end. The only thing he got wrong was the, the he picked the Jets over the Buffalo Bills, and the Jets only lost by a point. So he was pretty on point with just about every single pick. Um, I did go with Cleveland in the pool, but again, I only put five on him because I wasn't feeling super confident in that. Picked Detroit by a lot because I expected Arizona to be terrible, and they kind of were, except I underestimated Detroit's ability to self-destruct. And then I kind of just went with, I tried to, you know, you try to get some upsets in here, and every single one of my upsets was basically wrong. I picked Pittsburgh to beat New England, Tampa to beat San Francisco, Carolina to beat the Rams, and I was wrong in all those because there weren't very many upsets, except Oakland beating Denver, and of course I picked Denver. Billy, what are you, how did, what are you doing, man? How did you know? How did you know? Billy's a wizard. He's got that black magic. By the way, the, uh, the CBS pool is open to anybody at, on Patreon at any level, so if you're a 
person that's giving and you want to get in the pool, doesn't matter that you missed a week. It's just a week-to-week deal anyways. Who cares? If you're uh, a Patreon supporter, you want to get in and you're not in, just let me know. I think there is a link on Patreon, but uh, if you can't find it, just hit me up and I'll get you the link. Anyways, let's take our break now. I want to go over some of the more... First of all, I want to do some... uh, Man, there's kind of a lot of stuff to do. We'll see what we can get to. Let's do some advanced... I don't know if we'll call it advanced stats or what, but we'll, a, a, a deeper dive into PFF. Well, well, I don't know. We'll take a break and we'll see what we decide to do. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. As I was thinking about it, that might be an entire show by itself. So we'll, we'll hold off on that, especially since I want to see what some of these other guys, uh, the other scores for these last four games come in. So we can just compare our guys compared to the rest of the league after one week. But I do want to do at least snap counts. So we'll start with that. Looking at the corners, essentially here is how it broke down. Um, Jair was out. There, there were 71 snaps in the game for the defense. Jair was out 71 snaps. Tremont was out 71 snaps. Tremont was our slot guy primarily. Jair was primarily on the outside. They switch that up occasionally, usually if they're in man coverage and the guy moves or whatever. And then on the other side, essentially there was a split between um, Tony Brown and um, and Kevin King. So that was basically the split. You got Tremont and you got Jair and then Tony Brown and Kevin King split, uh, but it was it was primarily two-thirds were Kevin King. 41 snaps for Kevin King, 26 for Tony Brown. And again, you know, we can look at specifics. Tremont, for example, played uh, 58 of his 71 snaps from the slot. Only 10 were out wide, and then two were inside the box. And again, this this the way PFF works is before the snap, they just look at where you're standing and, and you know, sort of designate you based on that. You know, he played a snap at, at free safety. But the bottom line is, Tremont is our slot corner. You could probably go anywhere across the league and see slot guys that line up in all kinds of crazy spots. Um, but 58, basically 60-10 was his breakdown as far as slot and, and being on the boundary. Uh, Jair was even more um, it was even more defined. He had 65 of his 71 snaps were out wide, three in the slot, three in the box, and then a couple on, on special teams. And then, as I said, essentially the other boundary corner position was split between Kevin King and Tony Brown. They each did spend a little bit of time in the slot, uh, but it was only four for Tony Brown and three for Kevin King. So, uh, you know, it was a, it was a pretty well-defined situation. And I think as Kevin King gets healthier, um, we're going to see Kevin King essentially just lock down that spot with Tony Brown essentially being relegated to um, four wide receiver situations and injuries. Safety snaps we kind of covered. One thing that's interesting is that PFF, and I, I don't think that this is necessarily has a designation. It's not a official depth chart designation, at least at this point. PFF actually labeled Josh Jackson as a safety in this game. He only played 11 snaps. Um, eight of the 11 were special teams. But on defense, he played one snap in the slot, one snap as an outside linebacker, and one snap as an inside linebacker. And essentially two of his snaps, two, I'm assuming once was the outside linebacker, once was the inside linebacker, um, his job was to rush the passer. So he's, he's more of a pass rusher than he is a corner at this point. Two of his three defensive snaps, his job was to go get the quarterback. Only once was he in coverage. Presumably that's when he was in the slot, and nothing came of that. 
I mentioned the breakdown between Savage and Amos. Um, again, if you remember, um, Darnell Savage, 37 of his snaps came in the slot. 25 of his snaps came as a free safety. Seven of his snaps were inside the box, so that would either be a linebacker or a strong safety. Essentially, they're a similar designation. He's up inside the box. Song safety is probably just a little further back. I'm not really sure how they do that. Once was defensive line. This is probably just him lining up, you know, in a blitzing position from the linebacker spot. And then once he lined up out wide as a corner. Amos, 46 snaps as a safety. 15 times he was inside the box, so essentially playing linebacker slash strong safety. Six times in the slot. Twice he was out wide. And then twice he was up on the line. Raven Green obviously is going to be our box safety. He spent 40 snaps of his, uh, well, 67, but only 55 on defense. So 40 of his 55 were um, inside the box. Six were in the slot. Five of them were along the defensive line, which, again, is to say he's basically in a blitzing stance, which is basically the same as being inside the box, right? So basically 45 of his 55, six in the slot, two out wide, and two at free safety. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious this is the the defense is pretty straightforward, at least insofar as what we've talked about already with the DBs. You've got uh, Jair out wide, Tremont in the slot, Kevin King on the other side with, you know, Tony Brown spelling him. Then you've got Darnell Savage and Adrian Amos are the free safeties. Raven Green is playing in the box as our uh, dime linebacker. Uh, Blake Martinez is the only other linebacker that is... Um, He's the only linebacker that played any snaps. Now, I don't know if that's going to change as we maybe get B.J. Goodson kind of going a little bit, or if this is just going to be the primary alignment with Blake being the only linebacker out there and, and uh, Raven Green being the guy next to him. But um, essentially, you know, Blake Martinez is just a linebacker. He played two snaps along the defensive line, again, which is just a blitzing stance. Once he was split out at slot, probably when the running back went out in man coverage. Once was as a free safety. I don't know what that's about, but whatever. But again, he's he's a linebacker. That's what he is. Uh, moving our way up now, looking at some of the edge rushers. Kyler only played as far as when he was in a pass rushing spot. He was only lined up as an outside linebacker, which makes sense. They're not going to put his hand in the dirt. Um, five times as a left outside linebacker, nine times right outside linebacker. He also played eight snaps inside the box as an inside linebacker. Probably pairing him up with Blake. I'm not really sure. Rashawn, again, only played six snaps. He had no snaps on special teams. Um, three of his six snaps were as an outside linebacker. Three of them were as a down defensive end. Uh, five of his sna- uh, six snaps were on the left side. Only once was he on the right side as an outside linebacker. Uh, with Preston and Zedarius, you get a little bit more flexibility. Uh, Preston was once inside the box. 38 times he was right outside linebacker. 25 times he was left outside linebacker. So primarily he's standing up. However, three times he was a down well five times total he was a down defensive end and then once he was a uh well a four a a three four end so a down lineman right so there's there's two ends right there's there's a defensive end in the four three when run our nickel which is a pass rushing defensive end and then there's a defensive lineman defensive end in a three four so primarily preston is going to be a pass rusher standing up a couple times he had his hand in the dirt but i think kyler and preston are pretty much going to be standing up the whole time Rashawn is going to be, you know, 50-50, and then Zadarius was incredibly versatile. Uh, three snaps inside the box, 24 snaps, left outside linebacker, 16 right outside linebacker, uh, 14 snaps as a down defensive end, evenly split left and right. Six times he was a down defensive end, and then twice he was actually a defensive tackle. 
which is to say when we're in a 4-3 defense, maybe you've got Rashawn and Preston with their hand in the dirt on the outside. you got Zadarius on the inside there as a defensive tackle. So he was all over the place. Uh, Tyler Lancaster, as we move inside now to the last position on defense, which is defensive line, not surprisingly, all his snaps were at defensive tackle. It really just depends if we're in a 3-4 or 4-3 look, but, um, you know, he's a defensive tackle or he's a nose tackle, one of the two. He was a defensive tackle more often, but that probably just has to do with the fact that we're aligned more often in a basically a 4-3 front. Well, a, a, a four-man front. It's not a 4-3 because it's, it's nickel, but whatever. 4-2, I don't know. Actually, we're technically 4-1, but uh, he only played 14 snaps. Fidel Brown only played two snaps, both as a defensive tackle. Montrevious played 22 snaps, almost entirely as a tackle. He played once in the nose, um, 18 times as a defensive tackle. Three of his snaps, though, did come as a defensive end. Not pass-rushing defensive end, just defensive end. I'm going to stop clarifying what that is and assume you know what I'm talking about at this point. I'll tell you if I'm talking about pass-rushing. Speaking of, Dean Lowry. Dean Lowry played 46 snaps. Uh, let's see, 20, 37 of those snaps came as a defensive tackle. Six of those snaps came as a defensive end. And three times came as a pass-rushing defensive end. Finally, Kenny Clark, 54 snaps, and he was absolutely all over the place. It's going to be hard to do addition here. Once was actually inside the box, so that's kind of crazy. But let's see, starting from the outside in, three snaps as a pass-rushing uh, defensive end. Three snaps as a defensive end. 30 snaps as a defensive tackle, 17 snaps as a nose tackle. So there you go. That's how the defense broke down. Again, nothing super crazy as far as, I mean, again, everything's pretty well defined. You've got some guys that do multiple things, like uh, especially Zadarius Smith. But for the most part, everything is, is pretty down the line. You, you know who's playing, you know where they're playing. So flipping it over, looking at offense, obviously we don't need to go through every position. We know where the offensive linemen were, we know where the quarterback was, and running back, who really cares? I mean, if you super care, you can ask, I guess, but we're not going to do that. But I, I, I do want to look at uh, wide receivers and tight ends, at least, just to kind of see, for example, it doesn't even need to, need to be super in-depth, but outside, inside, and then as far as tight ends, how many receiving, blocking, and, and whatever. But starting with Jay Kumaro, he only played one snap at wide receiver. I honestly didn't even know he played a snap at wide receiver. But he played out wide. Primarily, he was a special teamer, though. 12 snaps on special teams. Punt return, kick coverage, kick return, punt coverage. He was everywhere. So we'll see if he ends up getting more opportunities at uh, wide receiver if things don't pick up on offense. You would hope he does just from the standpoint of we need, we got to try something else. Trevor Davis also spent most of his uh, snaps on uh, special teams. But of his 37 total snaps, 17 were on offense. 15 of those came out wide. Two of them were in the slot, so we got an out wide. Pretty much everybody except Geronimo, to be honest, is going to be out wide. We don't really have a slot guy until Shepard comes back. Speaking of Geronimo, he didn't actually spend a ton of time on special teams, only five snaps of his 35. Uh, Eight of his snaps came out wide, and then 22 were in the slot. That's just going to be where he's at. MVS, zero snaps on special teams, which is kind of surprising considering he used to be our kick returner. But um, he lined up once in line, which is funny six times in the slot, and 34 times out wide. And then Devontae was a little bit more split, and I was kind of hoping that this would happen, especially against Buster Screen, but we heard already that they were going to spend more, Devontae was going to spend more time inside, so that's kind of cool. We just got to figure out how to take advantage of it, but um, he lined up twice in the backfield. Probably, I know one was the the end around. Maybe he just ran that twice. I'm guessing that's what that is, because he didn't line up as a running back, as far as I can remember. But 46 snaps out wide, 11 snaps in the slot. Still, obviously, primarily going to be an outside guy. 
And then finally for the tight ends, uh, as far as playing receiver, Robert Tanyan had 10 snaps at receiver. Mercedes Mercedes had 15. Jimmy Graham had 23. Pass blocking, Mercedes Lewis had 3. Tanyan had 2. Jimmy had 1. And then run blocking, Mercedes had 15. Jimmy had 9. Robert Tanyan had 7. So the clear breakdown here is that Jimmy Graham is going to be the receiving tight end primarily. Mercedes Lewis is going to be primarily the blocking tight end. But there's a good amount of variation throughout. And actually another guy that's kind of interesting is Danny Vitale. Um, Again, primarily going to be a special teamer right now. However, he lined up twice in line as a tight end. And then uh, nine times he lined up as a fullback. Four times directly back and then five times offset. So anyways, there's your uh, your snap counts and your general breakdowns for how things go. Nothing really super surprising there. Everything is pretty much exactly as we expected. Maybe the amount of, of opportunities is not what we expected, but um, nothing really surprising. Tadarius kind of being outside-inside guy, Rashawn being outside-inside, Preston being outside, um, Savage and Amos are the free safeties. Raven Green is playing inside the box. That was pretty expected. Jair King on the outside, Tremont in the slot. And then pretty much the wide receivers lined up where we thought with Devontae being, you know, outside but coming inside once in a while, which is what the coaches said would happen. So pretty straightforward. So finally, I want to look at uh, what I, my little project, which was um, tracking every single grade in week one for every single drafted rookie. I didn't do any undrafted guys. But essentially, here's the overall lesson. Rookies are bad at football. Maybe over time, some of them start to get better. But they are just generally bad. Here's a tweet that I had put out. Um, 254 rookies got drafted. Only 124, about half of them, almost exactly half, played. The other half were either sitting on the bench or injured or whatever. Only 13 of 254 guys that got drafted had a grade that was good or better. Rashawn was one of those 13. So when, when I look at it and say, well, he was okay, you know, he didn't have an elite grade, but he had a good grade, that's actually really fantastic for a rookie in week one. Darnell Savage, by the way, so the, the grade for quote-unquote good is 70. He had a 69.9. So there were 13 guys with, with good grades. Darnell Savage is the 14th best rookie. Again, for those of you who are disappointed in what the first-round guys have done or Rashawn Gary in general, let me just run through the first round to give you an idea of what some of these guys who have gone in the first round were able to produce. The number one overall pick, Kyler Murray, he had a pretty good comeback. His grade was a 53.4. That's a below-average grade. Nick Bosa got a grade of very good. He was one of the few that had a very good grade. He was fantastic. He basically destroyed um, the tackle forget what team they played, but uh, Tampa. Quinnen Williams, very, very good football player. He had an average grade. Cleveland Furl's grade hasn't come out yet. Devin White, right, freakish, crazy linebacker. He's going to be the best ever. The first time a, a linebacker has gone top five in I don't know how long. His grade was terrible. It was in the 40s. Even worse than that, Daniel Jones, very limited snap count, but Daniel Jones had the worst grade of any rookie of all 200 and however many. He had a grade of 27. Josh Allen, super freaky, best guy ever, you know, whatever, 52.4. T.J. Hawkinson, very good. Ed Oliver, very good. Devin Bush, right, freak, going to be awesome, greatest person that's ever lived, super great linebacker. His grade was average. Jonah Williams is not playing because he's hurt. He's out the the entire year. Rashawn Gary, again, had a good grade, 76.1. So to be clear, he's only about four points away from Nick Bosa, and from Ed Oliver. Christian Wilkins, 
freakishly talented defensive tackle, had a below-average grade. Chris Lindstrom, offensive guard for the Atlanta Falcons, below-average grade. Dwayne Haskins, quarterback for the Redskins, below-average grade. Brian Burns, greatest edge rusher in the world. We should have taken him. He's super freaky. He had a great preseason. His grade was average. Dexter Williams, freakish fat guy, average. Garrett Bradbury, Minnesota Vikings offensive center, horrific grade. He was in the 30s. If you saw, I put out a tweet on Twitter. Um, his pass rush grade is the first time I've ever seen this in my life. It was a zero. He had a zero pass rush grade. Never seen that in my life. I'm sure it's happened. I've never seen it. Uh, Jeffrey Simmons is out for a long period of time. They knew that when they drafted him. Noah Fant, the grade isn't out yet. Darnell Savage, again, had a 69.9, basically a good grade. Andre Dillard, Eagles traded up to get tackle Andre Dillard. He had a grade in the 40s, terrible. Titus Howard and Josh Jacobs played last night, so their grades aren't out yet. Hollywood Brown had, I think, the only elite grade. Maybe he was one of two. He had the highest grade of any rookie, 94.1. Montez Sweat, a lot of Packer fans loved him. His grade was average. It was 60. Jonathan Abram, we don't have his grade yet. Jerry Tillery, defensive lineman for the uh, Chargers, had a grade in the 30s. Horrible. L.J. Collier for the Seattle Seahawks didn't play. DeAndre Baker, corner for the Giants, had a grade in the 20s. 20s. Atlanta Falcons offensive take tackle Caleb McGarry had a below-average grade. Patriots wide receiver Nikhil Harry is out injured. This is how it goes, man. The problem is we have such a high standard. He's a first-round draft pick. He should be better than that. Where Sean Gary's hardly even playing. He's only got six snaps. He's terrible. Da, 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 da. He is, he's like the seventh or eighth best rookie out of 250. Relax. Everybody is trash. Of Only 50% of these guys are even playing, and they're all terrible. Elton Jenkins isn't even playing. Well, he's going to. And if you're curious, Byron Murphy, below average. Rockison average. Jawan Taylor, average. Debo Samuel, below average. Greg Little isn't playing. Cody Ford was below average. Sean Murphy bunting was average. Uh, Jelani Tavai was average. Um, Greedy Williams was below average. Ben Benogu was below average. Irv Smith was average. A.J. Brown was very good. Drew Sample below average. Miles Sanders below average. Uh, Miko Hardman was bad. J.J. Arcega-Whiteside was terrible. Uh, Paris Campbell was below average. Taylor Rapp was average. That's my guy. By the way, Taylor Rapp, phenomenal tack- tackling grade. Who could have guessed that? Um, Juan Thornhill was average. D.K. Metcalf was good. So the wide receivers that slipped into the second round have actually been pretty good. Right, third round. Zach Allen went in the third round. He was terrible. Deontay Johnson, uh, below average. Daryl Henderson, below average. Jermaine Pratt was average. David Montgomery was average. Devin, Devin Singletary that everybody's freaking out about was below average. Terry McLaurin was very good. Again, a wide receiver. Chase Winovich, average. Michael Dieter, Dieter average. Will Harris, average. Bobby Okariki was below average. Miles Boykin was average. O'Shane Zimenez was, was below average. Doss Noxon was really bad. Uh, Mike Edwards was average, and uh, Alexander Madison, the running back for the Vikings, was average. So, you know, Jace hasn't played because he's injured. You know, you're hard-pressed to find. I mean, it's about one around. It, it actually is about that. I mean, I think there was, I had it broken down, and I forgot what it was. There's like three or four first-rounders that are good, like two or three in the second round, and then after that, it's like one per round. I think it's like two third-rounders, one-fourth, one-fifth, one-sixth, one-seventh. Like, one guy in the entire round had a good grade. Now, this, this is all going to change. Some of these guys that were good are going to end up having terrible careers. Some of these guys that weren't very good are going to have great careers. But, again, it's just a matter of perspective. 
It's about relax. Again, 50% of the guys drafted aren't playing. Look at all these first-round draft picks that have been terrible. Imagine being the Minnesota Vikings who desperately need offensive line help. Everybody was super excited about Garrett Bradbury. He's the perfect fit for this scheme. That athleticism, he's one of the best offensive linemen in this draft class. He's so good. And listen, he might be an elite guy. He went up against Grady Jarrett last week. Grady Jarrett is a freak. But but if you're upset about Rashawn Gary, imagine Garrett Bradbury, who was giving you all this hope and was literally the worst pass-blocking offensive lineman, I mean, literally ever, because you can't get worse than a zero grade. He might have tied some people, but that's literally as bad as it could possibly get. Again, Josh Allen. Imagine how excited the Jacksonville Jaguars were to get, you know, arguably the second best pass. Well, you get a da 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 da. And again, he might have a phenomenal career, but, you know, not a great start so far. So be happy because we've got two guys that have played. Both of them are first round draft picks, and basically they are. They're both top 20. In, in Of 250 rookies, they're both top 20. They're both top 15. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you exactly. And some of this is fluky, right? Hollywood Brown is not going to be an elite guy. Um, tight end Tommy Sweeney was a seventh-round draft pick for the, by the Buffalo Bills, had the second-highest grade. Gardner Minshew has the third-highest grade. That ain't going to hold up. Then you got A.J. Brown, Terry McLaurin, T.J. Hawkinson, Nick Bosa, Ed Oliver, Kelvin Harmon, um... Kelvin Harmon was a sixth-round pick, by the way. Uh, pass rusher Anthony Nelson and then Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary was the 11th best rookie out of 256, I think it was. Darnell Savage is the 14th best rookie out of 256. Sandwiched in between Jawan Taylor and DK Metcalf. Right now, Rashawn Gary is the third best rookie edge rusher. Darnell Savage is the highest-graded safety in the entire rookie class. Juan Horn- Thornhill is second. Taylor Rapp is third. And again, this is more for perspective purposes than than bragging purposes because, again, things can change. By week two, these guys could have terrible weeks. Limited sample size for Rashawn Gary. Maybe he's just going to be the worst guy in the world. But, again, perspective. The expectations that we have for our draft picks are way too high. Again, almost every single player is garbage. There were only 51 rookies that even had an average grade or better, and and one, two, three, four, five, five of them had exactly average, which basically means they probably played one snap and didn't do anything. So it's actually it's 254 people that were were drafted. That means 203 were either below average or just not playing altogether. 203 out of 254 were either below average, injured, or sitting on the bench because they're not even good enough to start. Or some of them are probably just out of the league already. A few seventh-rounders, sixth-rounders probably got cut and never got picked up again. And again, not only are the only two rookies that played for the Packers in that that small group of 51, they're in the top 15. So be happy. Be excited. Anyways, you get the point. Again, when I get the rest of these grades, I will put that up on Patreon. You folks have yourselves a fantastic Tuesday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.